Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the podcast brought to you by our friends at VeloJerseys.com, your source for the coolest Retro kits available. Comfort, style, performance, always a part of the Velo Jersey design. And you can relive your glory days riding in style with kits such as Renault, my favorite one, Multani, which I founded as a sausage company, <laughs> Lavi Claire, and Koss, just to name a few. I myself, as I said, have one of those Multani jerseys as well as a kick-ass pair of socks that I am, believe it or not, wearing right now. That's how big of a whore I am. Great stuff. Trust me, head over to VeloJerseys.com, check out the selections, and when you guys are ordering, include the discount code PatrickFiller.com. Actually, just PatrickFiller, PatrickFiller, and you guys get 15% off of your order. Not a bad deal. Thanks to our friends at VeloJerseys. Go give it a look. Now let's go to the show. I got nothing. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't have anything. I'm not going to lie to you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the podcast that isn't going to make Mexico pay for anything. See, that's political. I'm Pat Bulger. How are you guys? Yeah? Again, I'm giving you time to answer. You're supposed to say something out loud whenever I ask you those questions. Yeah. Before we get into anything, you guys, I I, I, I swear I'm not making a ton of cash on this, but I'd like to thank another sponsor for our show, another new sponsor, Cool Water Bikes, local shop right here in Spokane, Washington. Does some pretty cool and pretty amazing things, you guys. They are a full-service nonprofit bike shop created in 2008, part of Cup of Cool Water, a Christian ministry working to build relationships with youth who are homeless in Spokane. Don't worry, I'm not going all religious on you, but they do some pretty cool stuff. They fix donated bikes, uh, give them back on the road, building relationships with homeless youth, working side-by-side, selling the bikes, get these kids back on their feet. 
You can help these great people by donating money, bikes, and parts, or by buying things from their shop. In fact, they sent me a sticker the other day that is absolutely brilliant. It is, you know how the mileage, people put those mileage stickers on the back of their cars, you know, for the marathon they've done, 26.2, 13.1, yada, yada, yada. He sent me one that actually says 0.2, I only run during cyclocross. Uh, funny, funny sticker. At least I thought it was. Um, so, you, you know, all kinds of stuff, bottles, jerseys, stuff like that. You can check out that they have over there and get some of that stuff, okay? Um, you can head on over to coolwaterbikes.org, look around. Learn a bit about what they do. These guys, as I said, do amazing work. Always struggling to get by, and they need your help. Um, just, just see what they got, see what they do, and see if you see if you understand the story. Or heck, speaking of which, donate some of the gear you have. I know you do. I am a bike hoarder myself, and I've been taking him stuff on a regular basis. So, you know, see what you got. <sighs> there we go. Got that stuff out of the way, right? How are you? There, I gave you. I already said that. You know, I was thinking about something, and and it, the the cool water guy got me thinking about it. Um, I recently was talking about things over there, and um, talking about talking about getting him on as a sponsor of the podcast, and wanted to make sure he was he was cool with the swearing that I inevitably do on the show, and as their Christian ministry, you know, he he was actually pretty cool with it, and and it got me thinking, especially recently. I'm in a Facebook group. I'm not going to name the name of the Facebook group. But they posted something the other day that got me going. It's a discussion that arose in the group from a post from a guy bringing up the issue that, as a triathlete, other members of the group, mainly roadies, I would assume, were giving him a hard time. Insulting him, perhaps. Perhaps not him individually, but uh, triathletes in general. And I got some thinking about it, and I've come to a little conclusion. We're way too thin-skinned these days. Everybody's pissed off about something. Nobody can take a joke anymore. You hear the, the concepts that comedians are hesitant to go to college campuses because they think that some specific joke will end up in some form of protest. As an event announcer, I'm always slightly worried about giving somebody a little bit of a, just a little joke or a little jab or something like that, afraid that they're going to get all mad at me and complain to the promoter, and next thing I know, I'm out of a job or I'm being sued even worse. Whatever happened to just laughing at ourselves, or at the very least, ignoring the assholes out there? Have we become that fragile? Hell, Donald Trump is asking for somebody to apologize to him every time he goes on, and yet he's the guy who says, I'm not getting into politics. It's frustrating. So here's what I'll do as my opener. It's a short opener this week, but I'm going to do this for the entire pack filler audience, all right? I'm going to insult each of us equally, all right? Triathletes. You're first on the list, just simply because I put you in that order. You guys have an unhealthy obsession with compression clothing, nutrition, and horrible fashion. You guys are generally pretty crap bike handlers due to the fact that you've never been in a group, nor have you experienced a draft. For the love of God, please drink a beer and take off the arrow helmet. Roadies, you're living in the past. Your heroes are mostly cheaters and possibly vampires with all this blood obsession. 
You are elitist, judging, coffee shop posers who likely live in your mother's basements. Your saddle matches your bar tape. Congratulations. Put down the macchiato and understand that you're not a pro. You are in your 40s and tend to act like an asshole. Off-roadies. Mountain bikers. Put out the cigarette and do a fucking interval. Dude is not a verb. Please clean your bike. PBR is not a food group. And you don't need a camelback to be full when you're just going for a two-hour ride. Fixie riders. Stop. Just stop. Man buns are a sin. Beards are a fad. Those pants are too tight, and that's coming from a guy who owns skin suits. Obey the traffic laws. You're making us all look like dicks. And finally, trackies. Your sport is dead. There, I've insulted everyone. If I've forgotten a group, please let me know and I'll get to it. If you were offended by my statements, please get over it. Laugh at yourself and understand that we are all in the same sport, regardless of the terrain, equipment, or activities that precede or follow the bike. Hell, in worst case scenario, just forward this segment last time. The interviews are the best part of the show anyway, right? Speaking of which, great interview this week, actually, and I hope I didn't turn everybody away from her. Esco is a woman who is dealing with her own problems and people who can't get over things. That is kind of one of the inspirations behind my five-area rant that I just finished up. Great person in a great interview, and uh, she's got a great project behind what she's doing. So, I got to sell one more product. The interview brought to you by Man Cans. What is a man can? It's a personal size keg growler fitting in your fridge. It's awesome. Fresh beer, man can. Click on the link on packfiller.com and buy something to keep your beer fresh. Mm. Beer. <laughs> there, I've hoarded myself out enough. Jill Yesco on the Pack Filler Podcast. <laughs> Hey everybody, on the show today, filmmaker and journalist Jill Yesko, and I hope I got her last name right. I didn't even ask you that. So she's a former cyclist, represented the U.S. in the 83 World University Games, and also competed in the 88 Olympic Trials. Her writing has uh, appeared in Women's Sports and Fitness, Shape, Fitness Swimmer, and numerous other magazines, and her recent film, Tainted Blood, the untold story of the 1984 Olympic blood doping scandal tells the story of the U.S.'s first foray into unfortunate performance enhancing through blood doping. Please welcome to the show, Jill. Jill, how are you? Good, thanks, Pat. Did I get your last name pronounced correctly is the question. Yes, you did. All right. Yes. So, yeah, okay. No no strike one yet. Hey, just to kind of get our listeners up to speed here, um, can, just a little background story on you. You've published several books, fairly well-decorated cyclist, and, and being that the show focuses around cycling and that type of a, of a lifestyle, um, what got you involved in that, and, and how far did you go? Sure. So, uh, actually, Eric Hyden got me into competitive cycling. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey, and as you know, the tour of Somerville uh, oh, yeah. was jewel in the crown for criterium racing in the u.s and i was living not far from somerville and i heard that eric hyden was competing in the tour so i took my um gosh it might have been a clunky old schwinn you know like 40 pound schwinn oh yeah and i 
rode it out and uh, got there in time for the women's race and saw them go off. And I thought to myself, geez, I could do that. And, uh, and uh, then I went up to Eric Hyden, being a little fangirl, and he <laughs> said to me, he's like, were you in the women's race? And I said, no, but next year I will be. And, you know, I got into it, I trained, and the next year I was on the line at Somerville. <laughs> So now there has to have been a pretty good athletic background here to just to kind of go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, and next thing you show up, was there something involved? Have you been involved in some type of athletic for a long time before that? Uh, yeah, I was a competitive runner. I ran okay. track at okay. Rutgers University um, and ran track in high school. Uh, and then, you know, just rode my bike around for fun. Um I played soccer in college also, and my dad played semi-pro baseball, so got the athletic team from my dad's side for sure. Okay. Now, being involved in the sport uh, during the, the 80s, personally, that was kind of when I first started getting into it. In fact, the Olympic trials you raced here, is, I'm broadcasting from Spokane, Washington right now, so you were here with us. With the with the Olympics, with uh, things happening with Greg LeMond, U.S. athletes competing on a global stage, 7-Eleven riders going over to the tour, um, was there a time you inspired to compete at that level? Oh, sure. I mean, everybody who gets into racing yeah. wants to go to the Olympics. I mean, that's that's the ultimate. Um, and I definitely had Olympic aspirations. Um, I'm from New Jersey, which really has a very long and noble history of cycling. So it wasn't it wasn't so odd to, you know, transition yeah. into competitive cycling living in that area, New York, New Jersey area. Um, you know, the Somerset Wheelmen are a long established club. Uh, my first team was CRC of A um, out of Princeton, New Jersey. So um, they really supported my racing. But the 80s were such a heady time for cycling. Um, yeah. It's kind of hard for anybody, I guess, under 35 to understand what it was like to wait with, you know, bated breath for your Velo News to come in the mail and <laughs> devoured Velo News and... You know, if you could get to a newsstand and get any of the European cycling magazines, that was just like, you know, you'd pass them around in your club. Um, and the tour really, you know, didn't didn't get televised until later. So a lot of this was through a kind of a grapevine. And I think that only added to the mystique of the sport for me. Absolutely. I remember, oh God, I, I, Velo News and, and Winning was the other publication I always was nice. thriving to and reading that. To. So uh, your film focuses on a pretty pretty big time, I guess we could say, in, in the 80s, and it deals with that specific blood doping scandal. For those who might not be over the age of 35, um, what? how could we summarize that story without obviously giving away everything in the film? <laughs> Oh, sure. Uh, so, um, blood, I want to be very clear about this. Blood doping or blood boosting, as it was referred yeah. to at the time, was not technically illegal. Actually, it was not exactly. illegal at, at the time. When the doping scandal, or after the doping scandal erupted, it was quickly banned and made, um, you know, an illegal practice. At the time, it was legal, but was still in kind of a gray area. Um, you know, eight members of the United States cycling team uh, infused blood, other people's blood, into oh, their veins uh, with the hope of 
gaining advantage through increase in uh, red blood cells, sort of like an instant, you get the instant benefits yeah. of training at altitude. Um, there are two ways to blood dope, and I'm going to refer to it as blood doping yeah. since this is 2016. Um, it was originally, the practice was originally, um, they came up with it uh, for chemotherapy patients who experienced severe anemia and blood irregularities uh, during their treatment. Uh, it was discovered by athletes as kind of a um, shortcut to enhance their performance. Um, you are supposed to take your own blood out and then reinfuse it back into your veins prior to your event. That is the safe and yeah. uh, supposedly advantageous way to do it. What made it so um, questionable and sketchy at the uh, Olympics, 84 Olympics, was that uh, proper precautions were not taken and the athletes used other people's blood. Um, and some got flu-like symptoms. It's always tricky with transfusions. And the 900-pound gorilla in the room, at least for me, was... In 1984, we were really not speaking about HIV-AIDS. Oh, it was yeah. prevalent, and, of course, you didn't routinely screen for that in the, in blood. So, um, you know, thinking about it now from, what, 32 years, uh, you know, it's really a miracle that nobody was more severely affected by it. And and you were able to speak. I I, I watched the trailer several times and, and to kind of get a feel of what's going on. You were able to speak with Tom Dixon, the U.S. team physician at the time, about the incident. Um, my I guess my question is: Do you think this was something that was forced upon the athletes themselves, or was it kind of a, a an individual decision? Why were only eight or nine athletes cho- uh, you know implicated? I guess we could say, and why were some not? You know, the more people I speak to, the more confusing the answers get. Really? Um, like Rashomon, everybody has their own version of the story. I have um, athletes now who are telling me that Dr. Dixon uh, actually was a proponent of blood doping and um, that they felt that he, that Tom Dixon was the one who was the whistleblower and okay. contacted what was then the United States Cycling Federation to tell them what he had witnessed at um, at the 84 Olympics. Some might question, well, if he saw it and was so disturbed by it, why did he then wait six months to yeah. report it? Uh, Dr. Dixon told me that the reason that he did not report it right away was he feared that the athletes would have to surrender their medals if, uh, you know, if this erupted during the Olympics or right after the Olympics. And I think he was conflicted himself about what had gone on because he had been close to the team and had worked uh, prior to the Olympics with some of the cyclists. He was based in Trexlertown, which, as you yeah, know, is race. where the Trexlertown Velodrome is. Yeah. Um. Wow. Um, do you do you think that, in in your opinion, do you think the riders actually knew that this was something that was, uh, you know, clandestine? That was that was that was cheating in essence. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, the writers I've spoken to do not feel that they, they had cheated in any, any way. They stress to me, and I also want to point out that not all the writers have agreed to speak to me. There are some that have told me either to my face or through others that they don't wish to discuss it. Okay. It serves 32 years on. It serves no purpose. Uh, I don't agree with that, of course, uh, but, you know, they're all entitled to their opinion. Um, but um, it it is, I don't think that I am ever going to discover the truth. And in some ways that really isn't the most important thing about, about this, this film. Um, you know, everybody's version is everybody's version. I'm starting to think that perhaps the athletes, whether it was right or wrong, just were looking for any any advantage. Having never been an Olympic athlete and never, you know, been at the Olympics in the United States yeah. during the Cold War, where there was a lot of pressure to win medals, especially since the Eastern European teams and the Russians didn't come. You know, had I been in their shoes, maybe I would have made the, the same decision or agreed to something, even if my conscience was bothering me. Yeah, you know, I've, and I've had guests on the show condone the practice, not, not necessarily condone the practice of doping, but stating that were they in that position, um, I, I don't know if it would be easy to say no. Um, here you spent your entire life preparing for these moments, uh, your life and your career and everything is on the line, and if you don't do this, you're back at home as a greeter at Walmart. Um, so, you know, what, what do your choices here? And, and I, I don't know if, you know, I don't necessarily support doping. I don't go, I'm not, a, you know, I, it's not like I supported or I'm against it. It's just, I don't know if I could have made that decision myself. Well, I think for, for me, the takeaway messages, athletes are there at the Olympics to, to perform. Yeah. You know, they're, that's why you have coaches and support staff to do everything possible so the athletes are there to do what they're meant to do, which is to perform to their highest level of capability. Um, so you have to start looking at the coaches. You have to start looking at the governing bodies. How was it okay for the athletes to blood dope? And for me, this is kind of the smoking gun. And again, I'm never going to quite get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Um, and you probably won't see all of this in the, in the film because it would have to be many hours long and no one wants to <laughs> sit through that. But trying to uncover the paper trail of who said what, um, there is one key person, uh, Ed Burke, who is yeah. no longer with nope. us. And Ed, Eddie Borjevitz was the coach of the 84 mm -hmm. team, and Ed Burke was... Um, 
I'm trying to remember what, what title they gave he him. He was just kind uh, of a but, master of everything. I remember he was involved in all, a lot of stuff at the time. He, he was. He was. And I'm kind of, what I'm hearing is ping pong, like a game of ping pong. <laughs> it was Eddie Borjevitz's idea. It was Ed Burke's idea. It was the writer's idea. Yeah. So um, I would just hate for people to throw Ed Burke under the bus because I'm not able to, of course, interview him for this film to get his perspective. Um, but it, it is clear that somebody came up with the idea of blood doping. It was floated prior to the Olympics. And even though it was not illegal, there were still a lot of red flags raised. And in the end, it was done anyway. Yeah. And uh, the scandal erupted. And cycling, in some ways, had sort of never never been the same. Well, it, it makes me wonder if it had been a common practice even before 84. Um, it's, it, I, obviously, it's something that somebody didn't just, it didn't pop into their head that summer and so, you know, makes you wonder about the implications of how many people have been doing it outside of our Olympic team. Yeah, I can't, you know, I really have not explored the history of blood doping in, in American cycling. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it, it certainly was done in European cycling, um, you know, especially with the Eastern European yeah. um, machine. Um, you know, but for, in my mind, what's important is this was the first time that an American team, an Olympic team, had what we could call a doping program. And to me, that's the significant part. You know, Lance Armstrong in 1984, maybe he was still, uh, you know, riding a tricycle with, with training <laughs> wheels. But, yeah. uh, kind of in, in, uh, I take the position that this was sort of the beginning of the slippery slope that allowed Lance Armstrong to take doping to the next level and beyond that in, in American cycling. Well, I do see you have Betsy Andreo um, featured in the trailer for the film, and obviously she has that connection with the modern era of doping. And, and how is that tied into in the film for making that connection between 1984 and current? So Betsy Andreu obviously was not um, active. Her husband was not racing no, not at, uh, at the time of the, the 84 Olympics. Betsy Andreu was in there to, again, provide the 21st century perspective mm-hmm. on on doping. Uh, she makes it very clear that she does not condone doping in any way, shape, or form. And she would have, for her, there would be no ambiguities. Um, if something, if she felt that something was wrong, she wasn't going to do it. And she has a very absolutist point of view that I think is, is not shared by many of the cyclists. She's a she is uh, a, definitely a very strong personality and um, and I I first I, I guess I applaud her for trying to do it what she did and, and do it for as long as she did because that battle I mean is well documented and keeps going on from there. We t- I hear about riders speaking of, of the doping years as a huge noticeable difference in the races. You have people who would be in the middle of the field or back of the field suddenly surging away um, months later. Um, do you think the athletes who have at least admitted doing something like this, do you think we could have had as good of an Olympics without this event, without the blood doping? I do. I think that that's the irony. We had an incredibly polished team, the 84 Olympics. Um, 
we certainly were more technologically advanced than the other teams. We had great track bikes. Uh, yeah. Raleigh was a sponsor. This is before I forget to mention this. One of the things that was really unique about the 84 Olympics, and each Olympics has their own flavor, aside from the boycott, was this was really the first corporate Olympics that oh we boy. had. This is the, the modern model that, that is now used, where you're having maybe 10 primary sponsors that give tremendous amounts of money to the Olympics. Remember, uh, 1976 Olympics in Montreal, which I attended as a teenager, it's a fantastic Olympics. Um, it was where Bruce Jenner won the, the oh, yeah. gold medal. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful. There was no terrorism. Uh, it was great. And Montreal lost their shirt. I think they didn't finally, they finally paid off their Olympic debt sometime maybe around 1990. Really? And yeah, yeah, just really, you know, a money pit for the city. Great for prestige, but terrible for the infrastructure of Montreal. Wow. So in 1984, Peter Uberoff was running the Los Angeles um, Olympic Organizing Committee, and he's a, a straight-up businessman, so he came up with this corporate model, implemented it, and, you know, everything at the Olympics was branded. Uh, the 7-Eleven built the velodrome. Yeah. So you, you had uh, your first corporate-sponsored Olympics, which really upped the stakes for for the athletes, but for the teams and the federations to have those athletes shine. Plus, this was a legacy Olympics for Los Angeles. LA had hosted the Olympics in 1932, and I lived in Los Angeles and raced there in 1983 and 84, and there was such a buzz and a passion. Everything was at a fever pitch. So, you know, the athletes could, I believe they could have done as well without the blood doping. Why are cycling, why is cycling always the one that gets caught up in this topic? Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 you know, you hear rumors about Peyton Manning's wife being able to bench press a car um, just because of the, the, the thing swirling around that. And that just kind of gets shoved away. And then all of a sudden cycling, we are just stigmatized with this, this label and it, <laughs> I don't know if that's a question you could answer or, you know, why, why cycling? Why are we the ones that are always stuck with this issue? I wish I could answer that. And, you know, this has been, I have actually, I haven't experienced the kind of like mob frenzy that yeah. surrounds Betsy Andreu, but I have definitely been on the receiving end of some very, very nasty and contentious emails. Really? Why are you making this movie? Cycling's been so battered and bruised. Can you just stop it? Really? Um, yeah, it's probably only going to get worse once the film is released. But, um, you know, other sports are really taking their licks now, too. I, I think it's maybe a question of scale. Cycling just hasn't, you know, because you have European cycling, you have pro cycling, you have cycling in the United States at the Olympic level. Um, I mean... Look at the FIFA scandal. FIFA is a, it's practically its own country. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't get covered that much in the United States. Track and field, the Russians may not even get a chance to compete in Rio because of their doping irregularities. Um, I've been told by some of my sources that the, the next sport for um, 
that's going to have a huge doping scandal is swimming. I mean, maybe wow. cycling just doesn't have its PR act together. Maybe we're not hiring the right lawyers. Or maybe we're just really interested in cleaning up our sport, and this is a just a huge decade-long growing pain that the sport has to go through. I do not think that this is the end of cycling, and I firmly believe that cycling will endure. I hope you're right. <laughs> well, and okay, so you're, you're saying you've received some, some negative f- feedback here in the process of making this film. Um, I'm hoping you're receiving positive feedback. What inspired you to say, I'm going to take on this story and this is something I'm going to, to do? Have, I mean, what's your film background like and, and why did you choose this medium and, and go from there? So after I retired from cycling in 1998, I was in graduate school pursuing a doctorate, um, and I completed my doctoral studies and was writing my dissertation, and I became very sick and could not finish writing my dissertation, and I was in my early 30s, and it was pretty devastating. I had set my sights on an academic career, and then that just you know, didn't happen. So um, I started writing and reinvented myself as a journalist and uh, with my sports background, did a lot of sports journalism and got to meet some wonderful people and then went into newspaper reporting and uh, did investigative work, certainly not with doping, um, but uh, with um, some other uh, contentious topics um, and cut my teeth there. Um, and all the while, I was thinking about this doping scandal. And this was even before I went into I don't know, kind of stuck in my craw. And I thought, this is going to make a great story. Now, let's see what happens in 10 years. Let's see what happens in, in 20 years. Um, I am very late to the game with filmmaking. I, I had this late onset <laughs> of, of filmmaking. Uh, I have um, written two crime fiction novels and uh, yeah. written and directed and produced the uh, trailers for those. Uh, I've done a short documentary that's premiered. Um, but this is my first full-length documentary project. Um, but in a way, I kind of feel like I've been preparing for this my, my whole life. Um, I've got some really great people around me. Uh, remarkably, there are a lot of cyclists who are now filmmakers who have uh, reached out to me. So they've been a wonderful uh, source of support. Now, and, and you're, you're saying you've been receiving some, some bad comments and things like that. Um, are they, is it primarily just, hey, our cycling's been dragged through the mud, or is it, um, you know, are, I, I don't want you naming names or anything like that, but are there... Are there people who are who are upset about the fact that some of their glory days might be uncovered? Well, I think I think that's it. I mean, thirty-two years later, I, I say this to the cyclist: no one is taking your medals away. Yeah. No one. I don't. But he gives you medals taken away. You really nothing you did was was illegal, and yet this is still an important story to tell. Uh, some of the Olympic athletes, they're married. Some have stayed in the sport. They have kids. Their kids are racing. And yeah. I said, you know, you really you really owe it to your kids to, to tell this story in the most honest way possible. 
wouldn't you hate for them to find out about it in in some other way? Um, you know, the Internet, just on a, another note, you know, there are trolls out there who say terrible things to people and on all levels. So yeah. I do, I, I, it is not unexpected. Um, I have had some prominent cyclists say some less than kind things to me via via Facebook. Um, I was on the phone actually this morning with a former Olympian who um, I was trying to get to appear in the film. He, he refused. Um, and uh, without naming names, I will paraphrase what he said. He said, I devoted 30 years of my life to this sport as a competitor and then in business, and I never made a dime. So unless you're going to pay me to appear in this film, I have nothing to say to you. And to me, that wasn't personal to me. It was like, wow, I'm really sorry that you feel that, you know, that that this didn't translate into um, success for you. So I feel like what the athletes are really telling me, it's not that I resent you personally for making this film. It's that uh, somewhere along the way, there were some tremendous disappointments, whether at the games or after the games, that have created uh, ill will. And what I'm doing is just somehow picking at a wound that's been caused by something else. Wow. That's, that's, that's really interesting to hear that. Um, and, you know, I guess I can, I can understand the, the, wow, please don't dig that up kind of a mentality. But I mean, I guess when it comes to getting paid about things, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I created this show because of my love for, for cycling. I'm, uh, podcasting is not a great m- money industry, but it's it's something where I get to talk to people like <laughs> you and, and deal these things. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's the what's the production schedule like? When are we going to be able to get our hands on or uh, or a ticket to see this? Yeah, so um, filming is almost completed. Uh, actually, um, in twenty ninth of this month, I'm leaving for California to interview Eddie B, which I'm quite excited about. Um, he's been very very gracious, um, and so has Mike Frazee, who is the manager of the 84 team. Um, Inga Thompson, who is on the 84 team, is, is going to be in the film also. Um, and um, I am hoping that the, a rough cut will be ready by the summertime and we can go into post-production in the fall. And uh, if um, enough money is raised, we can maybe premiere this by the... Um, beginning of next year. Um, a little plug. Absolutely. contributions to my film are tax deductible. Okay. Uh, yeah, tell us about that and where they can do that and stuff like that. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, please go to the w- website for my film, www.taintedbloodfilm.com. Taintedbloodfilm.com. There you can see the trailer for the film. You can get some more background information. You can learn more about me. And if you click the uh, Contribute button on the home page, it'll take you right to um, a spot where you're, uh, you can make your contribution and deduct it from your taxes. Um, no contribution is too small. Believe me, it all <laughs> helps. And you will be thanked in the credits for the film. Very cool. Well, I, you know, I, like I said, it, you know, everybody thinks, oh, she's making a movie. She's got to be making, you know, great money. And here we are saying, no, it's it's about I need some donations to help make this happen. And I think it's an important story. I, and, 
you know, be it be it positive, be it negative, it's something that we need to understand about our history. And we, if we don't know how to fix the current problems, we need to understand how they started. And so, um, I, I applaud you for going out there and ma- trying to make this happen. Thank you. Well, well, well said, Pat. You know, I was talking to Beth Ren Estes, who um, yeah. had been involved in cycling forever. She was the technical director of cycling at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta and was one of only uh, very few uh, female commissars. And she said, you know, Jill, the 80s were such a great time in American cycling, and so little of it has really been chronicled on film. If nothing else, your film is a very important historical document. So I say this to people, uh, so, you know, and they're like, why is your film just about doping? Uh, It's not. I'm going to look, as I said, I'm going to look at why the L.A. Olympics were important. We're going to see some great, never-before-seen stills and footage. Oh, cool. And as well as interviews. I mean, 32 years is a long time. Some of these people are, are getting up there. We want, we want to see Eddie be on film. He's 77 years old. Yeah. He's a living cycling treasure. I remember him driving around in that tiny little Lacar he owned on all that kind of stuff. Just that. <laughs> anyway, flashbacks there. Um, well, thanks, thanks for this, and I, I really, I'm really looking forward to to finding out and and keeping up with the process on it and seeing how it goes. I appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. So there you are, Jillesco with Tainted Blood: The Untold Story of the 1984 Olympic Blood Doping Scandal. How far would you go for a gold medal? I don't know. Something to think about. And Jill's got a heck of a project she's working on. And if you want to help her out, you can donate some money. Go over to taintedbloodfilm.com, read about what's going on, and uh, find out when the movie's coming to you. I, I, want, to, I want to see it, too. So that's it for this week, another podcast episode in the can. Thank you guys for your continued rankings on iTunes. Keep those coming. Tell me what you think. Stuff like that. Keep talking to me. And um, I'll keep it coming. Um, I think I could probably name drop big guests for you guys coming up next week. I did it earlier. Stay tuned. If you remember 1987, you'll want to tune into next week's episode of the podcast. Have a good one, you guys. We'll talk to you later. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 